In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. When I posted the picture of that big trout that you're referring to, I kind of called it now the unicorn trout because yeah. it was such an u- unusual circumstance. But yeah, like you said, that morning, it was a 40 degree morning. Water temperature was 45 degrees. We were st- we went out an hour and a half before low tide, hoping to get out there before the bottom of it. And the channel was high and dry. So we, we had six inches of water in the main channel. We had to get out and push. So then you're, you know, you're back on frost and all that fun stuff. But yeah, my, my theory is in the winter that these big, big trout so that when i say big i'm talking 24 inches plus anywhere upwards of 30 32 30 you know whatever it might be but 24 inches and above the colder the weather the more they go up into the shallow waters and specifically look for that warmth and it could be a half a degree it could be a degree it could be three or four degrees uh on this particular day we saw the water temp in the mornings like i said mid to upper 40s by the end of the day where we were fishing it was 10 degrees warmer than that. So that difference, you know, and, and, and I tell people all the time, these trout are, are like popsicles. When it's that cold, you catch them. And I know you've, I've seen it on your shows, Tom, with saltwater experience. So in the colder water, those they're, they're cold-blooded animals. They are like popsicles. So you have to completely change the way you fish. Presentation's key. And I, I know we can dive into that more, but you're not going to catch anything on top water. You're not going to catch anything that's super active and making a bunch of splash. It's subtlety. And I, I think the master, and I know he's a friend of yours and a friend of mine, and I think he's the only fisherman I've ever met that's taller than me, but C.A. Richardson <laughs> talks about it all the time in the winter um, and on flats class and stuff. So, yeah, I think they get stuck in these shallow pools, but then they, they naturally congregate. Because you'll when you see one, you're going to see 100. That's what I always say this time of year. But it's on the key to me is no pressure. I'm Rob Chapman, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast today. We got a great one with one of my good friends, Rob Chapman. We're going to talk about trout fishing, sea trout fishing, saltwater trout fishing, 
because Rob's really good at it, and he has a knack for catching really big ones, and uh, they're bigger than any sea trout that I catch, so I want to try to figure out what's going on. Um, we're going to get to Rob in just a second. I want to tell you about the last photo contest that we just had for 2020. We just finished a photo contest, and it was pretty cool because we did it for the first time. All the entries came on the text that I'm doing now. So the, the text number is 305-930-7346. You can actually just text me right there. And that's what all these people did. We had over 300 entries. People just text their photos right to it. Um, it worked way better than Instagram. It worked way better than Facebook. I'm never on Facebook Messenger. So if you try to get me there, it's not going to work. I don't go to Facebook Messenger. I do sometimes look at the Instagram direct messages, but we get a lot of them. So if you want to get a hold of me, we've always had the the podcast at saltwaterexperience.com email. That works perfectly. You can still use that. But if you want a little bit better way of communicating, try this text, 305-930-7346. It'll ask you for your name and your, your age, and then you're good to go. You'll be talking to me after that. That's how we did this photo contest. And just a little shout out to the people that won. We had Mitch Whittem. Uh, he posted a, a lot of pictures or sent me a lot of pictures. It was hard to pick one of his because his were all right up there with some of the best that were submitted. But there was this one that I thought was really super cool. And they were down, I think, in Belize. And there was a big, huge, nasty front coming. He was trying to catch one more fish. And there's this storm line. And one side of the the, the picture is clear. The other side is this giant storm line. And there's Mitch out there trying to catch one more fish. The backstory is that all of his fishing uh, companions were screaming at him to get back to the boat. It's time to go. Um, so that that one did pretty well. We had Krieger Brazil, a young angler, uh, 12 years old. He had a tarpon in the water. He was holding it really nicely. A good proper release on the tarpon. Uh, never bringing them out of the water. That was a cool picture, and that one did very well. And then Alex Tejada, bone collector, kayak fishing. He wins um, the prize, uh, and the the prize that he won was a Yeti Yeti one gallon Rambler. He wins that because of his awesome photo with his tarpon jumping out of the water with him in a kayak. It was it was a good picture, really good picture. But thank you to everyone who submitted the pictures. It was really one of our better contests that we've ever had. It was it was cool just to see like what you guys have been doing in 2020. And a lot of you caught a lot of good fish. So that was pretty cool. And so I, I really like that. But again, that number is 305-930-7346. You can text me there and uh we'll we'll get um that's where we'll do the the physical challenges that we're gonna do later. Everything's gonna happen on that text thread. So get that in your phone and take advantage of that. All right. So now we're going to go down to Rob. I got Rob right here with me already on the phone. And uh, what's up, Rob? How you doing? Good. How you doing, Tom? Man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I don't think it could be any better. 2020 is over. I think everybody's pretty happy about that. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, no kidding. Amen. What a crazy year. It was so crazy. But uh, from what I could tell with all the all the pictures that we got, it did look like the the silver lining is that more people got outside this year probably than many years previous. You know, it just seems like everybody was kind of fishing, hunting, hiking, camping, boat sales are up. Everything kind of in that regard was good, but it was definitely a challenging year for really, I think everyone, I don't know, unless you're in like, unless you own Zoom or Skype. <laughs> Where <laughs> yes. we are right now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. Well, I've heard you talk about it too, Tom. It's interesting this year, 
at the start of COVID, I think it let nature reset, you know, for the first time ever, a lot of waterways shut down and not just in the U S but everywhere. Um, I'm in Florida, obviously I know you fish primarily in the keys. Um, I go all over Florida, Southeast U S all the way up to Massachusetts, Nantucket. Um, there was a number, number of months there that where fish probably had their first reset in forever. Yeah. But then you have the stark contrast with three, four five months into it. Like you said, our industry is setting records with the number of people fishing with the boating industry. I read an article on golf yesterday that the golf industry is setting all time records. So yeah, our, our, what we love to do, a lot more people got out there and started doing it. Yeah. Well, that's good. You know, I mean, there was always for the last few years before this, I mean, the big concern was how do you get kids into the outdoors because there was a big void of, you know, I mean, it seems like hunting and fishing primarily, maybe golf, um, but mostly hunting and fishing is, is the kind of thing that gets passed down from one generation to another. That's like, you know, a father hands it off to his son or his daughter, a uh, mother hands it off to someone, an aunt or an uncle or a grandfather. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of pass these these skills down. And uh, that wasn't really happening in the age of, uh, of video games. And honestly, there were just more intriguing, fun, interesting things to do inside. And people were kind of forgetting about the outdoors. I do believe that this that is the silver lining here. That was something that right away, Robert Trossett, I had him on the podcast and he pointed that out right away. He was like, this is going to be a reset, the first reset in a long, long time. And um, yeah, I think it, it definitely was. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this, how this plays out like five or six down, years down the road when you, when you take the pressure off everywhere like that for yeah. months. And then, you know, maybe... Maybe you don't notice it right away, but it could could be a big deal uh, down the road. But it doesn't seem like it's been a big deal uh, for your sea trout from what you've been posting lately. <laughs> no, this is uh, – and you and I have talked briefly about this, but, yeah, this is my favorite time of the year. The wetter, the nastier, the colder, the windier, the uh, the better the trout fishing up here. And I'm, I'm in the big end so, – or the big bend, sorry. A lot of people see the photos and assume South Texas in different places or – I mean, who knows where you'd find the big tra- East Coast uh, traditionally, and Captain Peter Deeks is is the master of giant trout. Uh, but yeah, I'm in the Big Bend area, you know, Steenhatchee, Horseshoe Beach, uh, Swanee, that kind of area. And where where I live now, and I grew up in this the St. Pete, Tampa, Bradenton area. Uh, that, like I said, the colder the better. I've got a number of theories on it. Who knows why? But yeah, if it's nasty, that's uh, when I want to be out there on the water, <laughs> specifically targeting giant trout. That's interesting because you know, in the Keys, the cold weather. I mean, the offshore fishermen kind of like it because it gets the bait moving and you can get the north breezes, which tend to be good for the sailfish. And maybe it stirs up the offshore fishing a little bit, but man, the, when the, when the temperature just plummets, that just doesn't do anything for, I mean, well, you, you do have some Everglades fishing that the snook and the, and the trout up there, you know, they can huddle together in some holes and stuff and you can have some really good days, but it just doesn't, I've always kind of thought, man, it'd be pretty sweet if you had a place where the when you get the really bad cold fronts and the really nasty weather, that's when it's the best there. So that's exactly what you're, you're describing. That's right here. What, yeah. what do you think it is about? I mean, it blows all the water out and then you have low winter tides anyway. And so like what we were talking about earlier is that you really like it when, when there's almost no water, like it's almost, really really difficult to get back in there does that just make it to where the fish are more accessible they're easier to find for you or 
do other people feel the same way or is this kind of, <laughs> I don't know. There's yeah. The, well, I, and I guess, you know, when I, when I posted the picture of that big trout that you referred to, I kind of called it now the unicorn trout because yeah. it was such a u- unusual circumstance. But yeah, like you said, that morning, it was a 40 degree morning. Water temperature was 45 degrees. We were, st- we went out an hour and a half before low tide, hoping to get out there before the bottom of it. And the channel was high and dry. So we, <laughs> we had six inches of water in the main channel. We had to get out and push. So then you're, you know, you're back. And frost, and all that fun stuff. But yeah, my, my theory is in the winter that these big, big trout. So that when I say big, I'm talking 24 inches plus anywhere upwards of 30, 32, 30, you know, whatever it might be, but 24 inches and above. The colder the weather, the more they go up into the shallow waters and specifically look for that warmth. And it could be a half a degree, it could be a degree, it could be three or four degrees. Uh, on this particular day, we saw it, the water temp in the mornings, like I said, mid to upper 40s. By the end of the day, where we were fishing, it was 10 degrees warmer than that. So that yeah. difference, you know, and, and, and I tell people all the time, these trout are, are like popsicles when it's that cold, you catch them. And I know you've, I've seen it on your shows, Tom, with saltwater experience. So in the colder water, those they're, they're cold blooded animals. They are like popsicles. So you have to completely change the way you fish presentations key. And I, I know we can dive into that more, but you're not going to catch anything on top water. You're not going to catch anything that's super active and making a bunch of splash. It's subtlety. And I, I think the master, and I know he's a friend of yours and a friend of mine, and I think he's the only fisherman I've ever met that's taller than me, but C.A. Richardson <laughs> talks about it all the time in the winter um, and on flats class and stuff. So, yeah, I think they get stuck in these shallow pools, but then they they naturally congregate. Because you'll when you see one, you're going to see 100. That's what I always say this time of year. But it's on the key to me is no pressure. So on these days, we were the only boat we saw for four or five hours because we were the only idiots out there. And there was no water. So we were an aluminum based boat. You're going across oysters and rocks and I would never bring a nice boat in that area. Um, but we're literally dragging bottom left and right all day, getting out, having to push, but the fish, they've only got so many places they can go to. So you're, you're stacking the deck in your odds, but you're also rolling the dice at the same time. But I think, like I said, I think the key is, is just that little bit of warmth when it's high and dry like that, those mud flats are just baking in the sun. So when all of a sudden that water starts coming in, then incoming mm. tide starts coming in, that water warms up and those fish naturally congregate to those warmer areas. And, you know, I've heard people say, Hey, don't post pictures where you're catching them. And 95% of people aren't going to go where we're going when we go there, just because it is, it, it, it's, it's pretty stupid to do. But if you've got somebody that's willing to roll a dice and, and you can catch a unicorn, then, you know, you take a couple more chances. Yeah. So what about another kind of craft? Could Is it possible you could get a paddleboard or a kayak or, or something else back in there? Or are you just too far away or I don't know? Well, that's a good point. So roughly where we fish, and it's not a super secret, but it's it's four or five miles from the closest boat ramp. Um, and, and that's what's unique to where I'm fishing in the Big Bend. And, and most of the Big Bend's primarily like this. Once you get outside of the rivers, there's no intercoastal. It's not like the Tampa St. Pete Clearwater or on the East Coast where you've got the lagoon. You know, it's it is one open waterway. And that waterway up here specifically is at high tide, three or four feet up against the shore, and ten miles offshore, it's seven or eight feet deep. Mm. So it's just miles and miles of grass flats. There's not a lot different. So, you know, you and I live for fishing and we always try to find ways to find the most fish, and 90% of the fish are in 10% of the area the colder the weather, the, and I love fishing a day or two after those cold fronts because they, again, they just stack up and, um, specifically the big trout. That's, that's the number one target, but the big redfish are in there. Last year, we unfortunately found a big snook that was every bit of almost 50 inches long and probably close to 50 pounds that had died overnight in the cold water. Yeah. Um, that's the difference here. You know, we're North of 
the Crystal River area. So we get a lot of those hard freezes that never quite make it down south. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting too. Like that, that's one I was thinking about. Like if we had that in the Keys, I mean, we did in 2010. We had one of the one of the worst fish kills ever associated with a with a very very cold um, front, and it stayed cold for a little bit. And the fish that seemed like maybe the fish that that did go actually out into warm water, like to to deep water, they probably did fine. But the ones that went into a, a deep hole which would be fine on a general front. But when it stayed cold for a couple of days, they ended up dying. We had um, really massive fish kills because of cold water. So the trout, I guess, is a fish that is, well, of course, we find them in, in very cold weather in, in Louisiana. So they can handle that. Redfish as well. And redfish go all the way up to Maine. So they're, they're a fish that can handle the cold weather a lot, lot better. But maybe... I mean, I don't know. Uh, a, a a permit a bonefish particularly does not do well with those te- yeah. kind of temperatures. And and it no sounds case. like that snook also kind of the same thing. But snook snook are a fish that in the keys they do bite really well on the cold weather. And and some of the one of the tournaments that we have in the keys is the uh, is the uh, swamp guides ball, and it's always kind of cold then and you can see some big catches from from the snook where they just kind of get in a hole and and huddle together. Um, but I would think that, um, the trout is just a fish that can, can handle that. I'm looking at that bass right behind you. That's a, is that your world record bass that you caught? Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the world record, uh, IGFA length record bass. And mm-hmm. that one was actually, well, I guess that was a springtime bass, but you know, same for the winter. Like you said, that, that 2010, there's a gar up there, which was caught in the middle of the winter, huh. um, around the spring, same, same concept, find the warmer water, find the fish. But, and I specifically remember Tom, that 2010 freeze, when it came in, it was such a drastic shift. You know, normally you get the weather line ahead of it. You may get a day to acclimate. That one was so sudden that, and it was so dramatic. Cause I think if you were up here where we were, it was in the mid twenties and the teens, low twenties teens. And it set in for seven, eight days and it was so drastic. But yeah, I, I agree with that. The snook have definitely moved farther North than we've ever seen, <laughs> um, especially in this part of Florida. And we haven't had any of those major, major cold fronts and those major sudden ones. So I think they're populating the river. A lot of people are catching them in the Suwannee River now, and they're catching them way up by I-10. It's, wow. It's funny how far north they've come. Uh, but I think they're a lot of that, there's a lot of theories. A lot of that was a red tide that was real bad a couple of years ago. Um, pushed everything north, including the redfish and the trout, and, and probably helped this area. But yeah, like you, you said, and snook were gone. Um, 2020, 2021, more snook than I've ever seen in my life in the Big Bend area wow. and, and West Central area and all those, you know, probably working south. Huh. That's interesting. Well, the reason I brought that bass up and I was just kind of curious, like where you're fishing and you have an opportunity. I've been to your house before. You got a bass lake right behind your house. And so when you have one of those colder, colder um, uh, periods, like what we're talking about, like a front coming through, it's 40 and you have the opportunity. You can either go and push a boat through the mud and oysters to go try to catch these trout, or you could go right out in your back backyard and go bass fishing. What, where is, I mean, is it even a, a contest? Do you find that, uh, that the bass are difficult to catch during those same things? And that is the prime time for the trout. Is that what, what you're kind of thinking? Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, we, we typically, um, and family comes in for the holidays. Uh, one of our cousins, she catches a bass every Christmas day, mm-hmm. no matter what. It's just, um, you know, we've, we've talked about what I've done around my dock and, and to help the fish congregate in that area. Um, but 
I, I would say the quantities are up over the winter when it gets super cold um, and they congregate because it's, it's probably eight to 10 to 12 feet off the dock. Uh, but I don't know where the big girls go. Um, that's the one mystery. And, and as you know, off the dock, we use some artificials, but live bait's always the best in that particular lake. It's really stained. There's so much bait and forage that those bass just, it's, it's shooting fish in a barrel with live bait and it's uh, finding a needle in a haystack with artificials. So it's, it's such a huge extreme. Uh, for the bass. But yeah, like you said, if, if I have a choice in the winter, it's, it's absolutely chasing the trout because I know it's funny you, like you said, I'm, I'm accustomed to where I grew up. It was springtime through fall was when we fished. Um, again, Bradenton, Sarasota, St. Pete area. Uh, the winter was nothing. We, there was mullet runs, there was some sheep's head, but it shut down. Like we just did not fish over the winter and here, like it's, it's one eight. I love fishing from October through about March. And then I don't fish up here off this coast. Huh. It's that time specific to me. It's that water temperature. The magic number is always about 58 to 62 degrees. Um, and it's hundred percent artificial, which, which I love. I mean, you just never know what you're going to hook into. We've got 40 inch redfish on top water in the same spots are catching the big trout. Um, and you see some, just, you see some absolute lunkers in there when the water gets a little bit above that freezing level, but that, that, that mid 40 level, those big trout, like I said, they're they're I don't know where they stay when the water is completely out, if they're back in the creeks or if they push out on the flats in a little bit deeper water. But like I said, when those mud flats heat up again, hmm. well, it makes, you be makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, same kind of thing happens, um, in the keys on the reverse in the summertime when, when you have a, a all the water's up on top of the flat. You have the outgoing tide. It's been heating up up there, so it's hot. And until you get that cool incoming water, nothing's happening. And yeah, uh, it's kind of yeah. the same thing that you're talking about, except the, the reverse. The, the The ground is warm because it's been out, and, and then the water goes over it and starts to warm up because it's very shallow. You get close to uh, close to air temperature probably. Um so what about when you're uh, you're saying you're fishing all artificials, and you're are, you're also alluding to the fact that you've got to move really really slow. So I'm I'm imagining that the lure's moving really really slow. Like what kind of what kind of tactics are you using to target these really really big ones? Yeah. So as you know, number one is is finding the fish, finding where they're at, but number two is catching them. So um, I, I think the biggest factor, obviously, outside of the weather when they move in, is is pressure. Um, this goes to the point of the nastier, the wet, the weather, the, the less boats in the water and the less pressure. Uh, but the slowness of, for me is the key. We don't use a lot of trolls. It's a lot of times it's just drifting and covering water. Mm. Um, we, we use not just one, but two drift socks at times. So you almost want to be moving at almost a complete crawl. You want to just be covering a little bit of new water. A lot of times you as you know, seek out potholes and that kind of thing. But, but to me, I love using subsurface lures that just stay in that strike zone longer than like uh, top water is my favorite fishing of all time, whether it's frog fishing for bass or super spook fishing for snook or whatever it might be. But these fish, it, it, they just don't, they're too cold to react like that. So the longer you can keep those lures in the strike zone, um, I use, a you know, different savage gears, but the scaled sardine by, um, Oh, I'm going to draw a live target. Mm. Um, that particular one's a zero to eight incher and it, it, it just flutters right in that strike zone and stays there. It's just quick. And as you know, a sensitive rod is, is, is a big factor in that. Um, the Paul Brown devil is another one that I love throwing in the super cold water. And it's, it's, you completely change your tactics. I mean, you, you, I would never throw a Paul Brown devil in the summer or spring because there's going to be a million blowfish <laughs> that pick it apart and you just lost 15 bucks or whatever it is these days. So, um, 
yeah, tactic. And I, I believe now, Tom, you're a Wiley X guy. Yeah. Um, it's, there's a, there's a lot that goes into this. I mean, this, this unicorn trout wasn't by accident. It's 10 years of learning patterns and, and figuring out things and taking some pretty big gambles and, and kind of patterning them. But if, if I'm not seeing them, and I used to have 2010 vision when I hit 40, that disappeared. <laughs> so I can now speak better to, to Wiley X than ever before, because now my eyes have gone. And, but if you can see them at some point, whether the boat's going over them, if I can see one or two trout in an area, I know I'm going to catch them. So your sunglasses are key because the conditions a lot of times are not ideal, but if you're fishing, I never like to go in over a foot and a half of water, especially targeting these big, these big girls. Um, you got to be able to see them and you got to identify them beforehand. There's a lot of times we'll just cane pole fish them where they don't know we're there yet. Huh. And again, that slowness of the drift. And a, there's sometimes we're using the trolling motor. Um, but my number one buddy that I go with, he, he doesn't even have a working troll motor. Huh. So it is, it's a drift game, but those drift socks are so key because then it just keeps that lure in that strike zone. And then power well, pole, you know, everybody loves a power pole. When you get on a good well, bike. Do you use that drift, dr- the drift paddle on the power pole? I have it. No, I haven't done that yet. Okay, so that That's, is supposed to work like kind of like a drift sock, and you can adjust the you're drifting, and you can put one of those down. Uh, and you can adjust the attitude of the boat with it, and it might move a little slower. But tell me about the drift sock because I've I've never fished with one of those, and when you but I have fished with a sea anchor, lots of times off offshore. So it's the same concept. I'm aware of that, but then you're saying you're only fishing in a in in a foot and a half of water and there's oysters all over the place and you're talking about using a drift sock. So I'm a little lost and I'm sure other people are too. <laughs> I don't know how that works. And you say you're using two of them. So explain yes. the drift sock that you're using. What does it look like? All right. So it, it's very similar to I'm assuming it's like the sea anchor because yeah. the ones know, we, we use offshore are huge. Are massive. I mean they're they're yes. huge. Yeah. So I would say if I had to guess on the the length or the width of this, the, the actual size. So it, it, it is, it's, it's like a kite. It's like mm-hmm. an inverted kite that, that captures the water. I'd say the opening is maybe two and a half feet big. Um, what's funny is that, like you said, I've, the last two guys I've gone with, cause I, I try not to take too many people to these areas and, and, and do it, but um, some good guys that I know that have always wanted to do it and, and trying to teach them some of the, you can, like you said, you and I can talk about this all we want, but until you get out there and experience, it's a whole nother level, but it's, they didn't know what it was. And so most people don't carry them. Um, you can get them at Bass Pro Shops, for example, but it it is essentially uh, a water break that's just funneling the water and slowing it down. But it's, I would say the, the, the total opening is maybe three foot in cir- circumference okay. on these. Um, and when, depending on the tide, depending on the wind, your drift, you can be, if it's 15, 20 miles an hour, you're, you're going way too fast across those zones. And I'd say that's probably what 95% of the people are doing out there on, on these flats with these big fish. So you put out one, if it's still not enough, put out two. Most people would say that's overkill. I am a big time action guy on lures. I love seeing the top water. I love seeing the explosions, but it, you have to completely, it is, there's times it's mind numbingly slow, Tom. I mean, I, <laughs> you, you've had Ron Riles on here and he uses flukes a lot. I can't fish flukes. I can't stand it. It seems like it's taken forever. I can't wait on the bass, but for some reason with, with these lures, these suspenders, and especially when it, when it turns visual, like I said, when I, when I, depending on the conditions, you know, with Wiley X, they have different brands for each condition. Um, if it's low light conditions and I can see my lure just shining enough, you'll see them flashing all over it. Mm. It is like, it's like catnip. And if you can keep it in that zone and those wind socks are doing their thing. And then again, you, you stick and stop with the power pole. If you get in a good zone, you think that it's going to be, um, and you can, 
they stack up and you'll drift across them where they, if you find one 24 inch fish, there's probably gonna be 20 or 30 more fish in that zone in the same size. And that's where you get into the big 27, 28, the unicorns mixed in there. Um, but you got to keep it in the strike so zone because they're just not moving that fast. As soon as you see a fish, do you put the power pole down and then try to work that area a lot? Yeah. So, so what, in, in, in the same concept, obviously I go to a, it's a, I would say it's an eight mile range between the zone. That's very similar. Same concept applies across the board. Um, if you get in a good zone where all of a sudden you're, you pick up one fish or you see a fish, there's going to be more trout. Um, and there's gonna be redfish mixed in with them too. Really anywhere in the big bend of Florida, if you find a big trout, you're going to find redfish, um, stick it, work it. There's some reason they're there. If it's a six inch difference, if that oyster bar, or that rock is retaining heat and that's a little more, little warmer zone, stick it, wear it out. And what's funny about trout is they, they seem to react other trout um even on artificials you know with snook and you're throwing out chum or you know near shore offshore and you're chumming obviously you're getting all the fish fired up well i don't buy live bait i don't buy shrimp it is 100 artificial um but they seem to react more once one or two kind of bite it and then it almost turns into a competition with them i don't know i don't know if that's true or not that's just what i've seen from watching that lure just dangle and yeah. then you just i mean it to me, Tom, I, I know you like sight fishing permit. Sight fishing, and this is probably why fly fishermen love it. It's 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 a whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it adds so much for me. I mean, I don't know. A lot of people like to blind fish or 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 don't really care so much about the the sight fishing or or they're not in an area where they can actually see the fish as well as, you know, I mean, we're very fortunate in the in the keys where we have clear water for the most part. But um, you know, you know, sight fishing is that's that's everybody's got a little bit different dif- definition of it. I mean, if you're fishing in muddy water and a fish tails, now you can see the fish tailing and, and you're kind of sight fishing where, I mean, we see the entire fish a lot of times, yeah. you know, from, from a long way away. And, uh, but, but it's still, I'm still kind of a little bit curious about these, these drift socks. So do you use, say you're using two, are you going to use, both of them off the stern, or are you going to put one off the bow, one off the stern to try to keep the attitude of the boat a certain way? Or does it depend? Are you fishing a little creek where that's not possible? Like, how do you determine where you put the drift side? Yeah, great point. So a lot of the zones I like to start when when we're fishing like this is is a little bit deeper water because it's low tide and, and find some of the deeper patches and really just throw out the two right off the bat. And One's off the stern, one's off the bow. Mm. Um, and they're as simple as going right through the anchor cleat. And th- they're amazing to me because you could throw them out just out of the, you know, where the, wherever they're stored, all crumpled up and you put them in the water. It's like magic. They open <laughs> up and they catch the water. Um, so we always, it's it, it, a great point because you don't think about it. If you, I'm used to it, we throw the two out, we see what the way the wind's pulling, if the current's winning, every time is different. Um, I get this question all the time. Well, which way do you like to drift? Or which way do you like to move? I'm like, I, you don't get, I don't, we don't know. You got to adjust every time you're out there. It's a different day. The conditions are totally different. The wind, you know, the wind is obviously the number one factor. Uh, but, but depending on that tidal movement, especially during the winter, that water could be flying in and you're moving four or five miles an hour with the wind and the tide going and you, and you've got no shot. You just, you simply don't have a chance to slow down. So those, it, it is amazing too. Like you said, if you place them both in the stern or both you like to fish off the bow, you can flip flop it. And it, it's just every day is different. And as soon as that tide stops or the tide slows down, you got to shift them again. So it's, right. it's constantly um, experimentation and finding out on the fly. So it seems like if you have the wind and the tide going in the same direction and you're really cruising through an area and you put out the sock, 
it's you're going with the tide, but the wind is probably pushing you faster than the tide, so it's slowing you down. Is that the idea? Yes, absolutely. So instead of going, uh, I'd say two miles per hour is a pretty fair estimate with not much wind. If it's a really strong current with 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 what your drift speed would be, looking at the GPS, that that wind sock one will knock it down to one mile an hour. If put out two, you're down to about half a mile an hour. So I okay. think it knocks it down about a quarter of the speed that you were going. Um, and then, like I said, you can just work those lures in. And, and again, you could drift and stick, drift and stick, but I, to me, it's covered a ton of water. And this is where Tom, and I think, and Peter Deeks talks about this a lot and, and CA does too, superior equipment. I mean, you can buy something off the, the shelf at Walmart and luck into a fish, but to consistently catch giant trout, unlike any other fish that I've ever seen. And this is why they're my favorite species. Uh, you, and I don't know if you can attest to this or not, but to me, a 24 inch trout, is a different species than any trout between mm. 12 and 24 inches. They fight different. They're more aggressive. Um, to me, they're the ultimate game fish because they have the soft mouths. Mm-hmm. They can take to the air. They can dig in the grass. A, a 28 to 30 inch trout is, and I think there's some stats and I can pull them up for you, but release over 20 is a great inst- Instagram page where they talk about the, the stats on releasing over mm-hmm. 20 inch trout. And the a speckled, 20 inch trout is a speckled truth. Yes. I've had Chris on the podcast before and they have that dirty 30, uh, club where that's the the benchmark there. And he has a lot of stats on, on that as well. It, like, it's but, amazing. But the, what were you going to say about your, about that, that those stats that you were just about to mention? Well, that's, I, I think they say a 20 inch fish is four years old and huh. the mortality rate to get to that age, it's staggering. I think it was one, one hundredth of a percent. So you're talking about that 20 inch fish is a survivor out of thousands to get to that level. And that's your breeder. So the, the, it's everything when you get to those big trout becomes exponential at that point, mm. that big, that 24 inch trout is going to drop so many more eggs than the 15 inch trout and vice versa. And, the, and as you know, I mean, they're not the toughest fish, a redfish you can beat, you can beat it half the depth of the boat and he's going to swim off like nothing happened to him. Trout are very soft. Their mouths are soft, but those, those big gators just turn into, turn into a different species. So that, that's where the superior tackle to me comes you've got to be able to cast it a mile because if they sense the boat, if they feel the boat, they didn't get that big by accident. It's not like a mahi-mahi. I think it was a mahi-mahi growth, something staggering, like Super 20 fast. inches. Maybe the yeah, fastest yeah. growing fish in the ocean, yeah. it's been said. A four-month-old mahi-mahi is almost two feet long or something. It, it's crazy. These fish take forever. And so what does that mean? That means they're that much smarter. They're that much more aware of what's going on. And on a high-pressure day, if you've got 30 or 40 boats, you're not going to catch a 30-inch trout. You're not going to catch a 28-inch trout. It's going to be a tote because they they hunker down. They bear down. Um, so I, I, you know, in particular, this trout that I caught, the unicorn trout that we're talking about, I, I don't know. I, I'm so cautious of spending too much time out of the water with those fish. And I was on a new boat, didn't know where his ruler was. He was on a plat, he was on the tower and he was still fishing while I was bringing it. He, he, he netted it, missing it the first time, got it the second time. Um, you know, I put her in the 30, 31, but her side, her girth, I mean, she, I didn't, I, I hate putting a boga on them. I don't know how you'd weigh them other than that. I took some measurements based on laying her on the, on the boat, um, had her out of the water about a minute total, but she looked every bit of 10 to 12 pounds. She actually had cellulite on her. Mm. I've never seen a truck wow. that looked like that. <laughs> um, but we had spent, we, we got up at four 30 in the morning. Didn't have a sink. I did not have a bite until noon. She finally hit at noon. Uh, the water was stirred up. It was murky. Um, totally unprepared because I hadn't caught a fish. Normally, when you get in these hot bites, you got you got everything. You, I've got my IGFA length record ruler ready. Um, got the rubber net. You know all these different things. Had nothing ready, um, which is of course when that type of stuff happens. But yeah, these 
big fish. Um, I don't know if I can talk about the rods and reels I use yeah. on this podcast. But Yeah, um, well, I had a question because uh, one of the things that you keep going back to is that trout have really soft mouths. And if you've done any trout fishing at all, they do have very soft mouths. And oftentimes they, they, the hooks pull or, you know, you, it, and, and, if you're going to go trout fishing, you tend to, I tend to want a, a rod that has a really soft tip. Um, but you also said that you need to throw it a mile. So I'm wondering if you're using braid for these big ones, because those two d- don't necessarily go hand in hand. You can throw it a long way, but monofilament has stretch, braid has no stretch. And so let's talk about that for a minute, because that's, that's kind of an interesting thing, uh, whether or not you're using braid or not. Yeah. And, and, to that point, I had actually, the night before this trip, I was talking to my buddy that I fish with all the time, and we were texting, I was watching Flats Class with CA, and he was talking about, again, about the soft mouths. We'd know it, but sometimes different things click, and I was like, you know, I've been throwing the same setup this entire year, and I, Tom, I don't know how many fish I lost between 26 and who knows. I mean, when you lose them, they're always bigger. I'd say between 26 and 30 was a fair estimate. Probably a half dozen fish that, that would take these live targets, and a live target has two sets of trebles. Mm-hmm. So they'd come up and you'd see that they just make these huge swirls. It's like an overslot redfish and then they'll jump up and, and I lost, I can't at least a half dozen fish like that. And I thought, you know, what's kind of to your point, if, if you've got braid and, and your natural inclination, and I'm not a bass fisherman, I mean, I've, I've, I love bass fishing, but I, I do it completely backwards. I use spinning tackle. I don't like bait casters, but there's no give of that braid. So I intentionally, before this last trip, downsized the reel and I downsized the rod. Um, it's still a seven, six, so I shouldn't say it's, it's a long rod, but it is a light action. Like you said, a soft tip. Um, because I was just, I simply was losing too many of those big fish that they're, they're so violent. And that mouth is so soft that if even with two sets of trebles in there, I was losing, losing way more than I was catching of the, of the big trout. So I go with light braid, uh, usually 12 to 15 pound test. Um, I was using a Florida fishing products is who I use for my reels and been with them since, since kind of their foundation with Ty Nelson and, and some good guys, um, and seeing that product evolve, but yeah, li- lighter setups on the reel, a, a big trout's not going to spool you. So you don't have to worry. It's not like a snook or a giant redfish that mm-hmm. if you've only got a hundred yards of line, you're in trouble. They're not going to do that. They're going to, they're going to peel some drag, but they're going to be more about the violence, whether it's upwards or downwards. Um, so yeah, light braid, light as light as you can get but at the same time like you said how do you cast it a mile well that's why i use a seven six mm. um and i'm using bull bay rods they've got a new one called a sniper um and it casts a mile and it's got enough backbone to where you can kind of horse around those oysters if you need to but at the same time you got to be sense but there's no there's no easy answer to it you've got to be able to that's why to me they're the unicorn of all the, the of all the fish because a big snook you can outsmart a lot of times you can sink a lady fish you can do different things same with the big redfish redfish is just and i love redfish but they're a glorified catfish um <laughs> in terms of how to eat you don't have to really outsmart them unless you're sight fishing them in titusville or something so yeah to me they're the ultimate stock and uh the ultimate catch is catching going for those big girls what about mono you don't know when did you stop using mono it's probably been, let's see, we're in 2020. I stopped using mono. I don't know if you know the Watts brothers used to fish yeah. the redfish tournaments. Oh, yeah. I fished my first tournament with, uh, well now I'll forget which one it was, Greg or Brian, <laughs> uh, one of the, one of the twins. Yeah. And I was throwing mono. He was not. And this was back in 2000. So I'm trying to think how new braid was even at that time. It was a fairly new technology, probably about that time. I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. I've been throwing mono my whole life and he was 
he, and he would still whip me today, <laughs> even if I had the right tackle. But I asked him a lot of questions, you know, what are you doing with this? Why are you using this? And the tough, because we were fishing a lot of oysters. Um, and luckily we ended up winning. That was the old Southern redfish tour that mm. that's now defunct, but yeah. we ended up winning that tournament. And, uh, I lucked out and caught one on a spoon. He got the bigger one. Um, and he was 10 to one. And I was like, you know, what, what do you need? And so we went into the difference between braid and mono. Um, and to me, it, it, Tom, and you know, Tom, I'm a tall guy. I'm six, five to me, if I can whip it out there and just get the distance, I think that's the number one factor for catching the big trout to me. So I, the braid is, yeah. is the way to go. Mono would have the stretch, but would they hit as much, you know, I don't, who knows? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, th- I wondered that about trout fishermen cause I don't do a lot of trout fishing, but I also don't use mono. I mean, I use fluorocarbon and I use mono leaders, yeah. but everything I've got is braid. And it, like you in that same time period, you just, especially when we were fishing those redfish tournaments, it became so obvious and so clear that you could cast so far, so much further. And, you know, you, I didn't have to re-spool the, the line every night like I was doing with, with monofilament, but I did, I do still think that there is, there, there are applications for monofilament. A lot of the offshore guys like it for sail fishing. Um, in fact, in some tournaments it's, it's required. You have to fish monofilament and, um, and some, you have some old school guys that just, that's the way they've always done it. That's what's required in the tournament. They see no reason to do anything different because on game day, they're going to go with mono. Yeah. So every, on a lot of offshore boats, you do see that everybody's spooled up with mono, but a lot of guys are coming around, uh, especially as it, as it, uh, applies to deep dropping, like, cause the braid was as much of a revolution as it is for casting in shallow water with really light baits. It was that kind of revolution in deep water because you can drop straight down and there's almost no drag on the line anywhere where the monofilament was getting really, you'd have this huge belly in it going down so far. Um, but I do see that, that trout fishing and trout fishermen could have a real good application for, for monofilament and, Instead of going with it's it's kind of interesting because the 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 technology and rods and and line and everything has gone to lighter, faster, stronger rods, line that doesn't stretch that you can throw so much further so you can catch larger fish, particularly like tarpon, where we I can throw a weightless jerk bait further than <laughs> than anyone could cast a two-handed spay rod in in a world championship and further than i could ever cast you know a small lure and you're doing it with 20 pound braid now and you can do that on this rod that will handle a uh, a big tarpon and it changed it changed everything i mean it changed everything for tarpon Absolutely. fishing for for permit fishing for bone fishing for red fishing and but I do still see that now you see this kind of a trend to go to softer and softer rods and you're even seeing fiberglass rods coming back. And I was kind of thinking that one of the reasons that might be happening is because people that are fishing for trout and other fish that have a really soft mouth might want to fish the braid, but then they need to adjust the rod that they're fishing because it's gotten so fast and so powerful that you either need the stretch or you need a softer rod. I don't know. Is that something that you yeah, think that, about with? Yeah, that's a, absolutely, absolutely a great point. Cause and and again, I, I refer back to the TV shows I watch and I know you're like this, you, you talk with these guides and you guided yourself. We're always looking to change and find new things. And, and so when I watch a CA or I watch you and you and rich or I, or I watch, um, 
um, local knowledge is one of the, and every night I'm on waypoint TV. And so I watch these guys and, and with salt strong with what they've done with mm-hmm. Peter Deeks and some of that stuff, when you start breaking it down, um, CA also uses a lot of bait casters. Again, I can't mm-hmm. use it, but you get that whip action. Um, yeah, I've thought about it a lot. I, I, I intentionally downsized before that last trip. Would I've caught that fish? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but to your point, even with that, a lot of times the conditions, if you're in a foot and a half of water and you've got floating grass and you've got grass from the bottom, your, your actual lure window to work is maybe this big at times. Mm. So there's times you have to go to weightless soft plastic. If it's a Z-Man or whatever it might be, you have to be able to get it out there with that. And that's where the braid comes into play because yeah. you can chuck a weightless uh, super fluke or whatever it might be a mile out there with a tailwind. And that's another huge lure to use on those flats. So yeah, it's, it's, it is trying to find that balance between you don't want to have too much power. Um, I know Sean Grigsby is a good buddy of yours and a mentor of yours. Um, Sean, I bass fished. It's probably been nine months and had just an unbelievably almost 130 fish. Um, I caught 50 on a frog but I was using the frog on braid on a spinning rod and Sean was like, he just was baffled by everything I was doing. I said, I, I don't see why it wouldn't work. Um, but he's like, you know, you, you only need to cast the shoreline right here. It's 50 feet away. It's a hundred feet. On, and I was casting the other shoreline a hundred yards, you know, whatever it was 50 yards away and catching fish consistently. Now, again, do you pull it out of the mass was bass a lot of time? Possibly, but I just, to me, distance is, is and I, I weighed fish a lot, Tom. So that's also a huge advantage is, is being able to cast distance, but, um, it's interesting the, the, the South Texas guys, I think that consistently catch the most very, very large trout when you're talking 30, 32, I think the current IGFA record is by Peter Deeks. I think it's 34, 35 inches. Wow. Um, those guys from what I was watching, oh, and I wish I knew the name of the show it was actually a hunting show on waypoint TV, but they went there to, to intentionally wade with these guys. I think they were all using mono, but they were all using corks and live bait. So I think that key is you've got, you know, you got it, whether it was a J hook or a circle hook, I don't, I didn't see it, but that live bait with that mono and they had these whippy rods. I think everything they were doing was to ensure that they were going to keep that lure stuck in that fish's mouth uh, for (laughs) as long as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, What else, what else do you, do you think is the difference between catching the, the, the large trout let's talk about like all year long not just I mean, we've really focused on this this cold weather time of the year but but you you kind of pursue them much in much bigger window than than just the cold weather what are what's the difference between guys that that are catching the peter deeks of the world that are catching really big ones and then you know the guys that go out there and they want to catch a big one but they just never quite connect with a big one or or maybe just every now and then but there's no consistency to it What's your advice for that? I'd say the number one thing is get away from everybody. So if you see a dozen boats in an area, again, redfish doesn't matter. Snook, they don't seem to care. But those big trout, you're not going to catch them where there's a ton of pressure. So you've got to work. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to go shallower. You've got to go back into creeks further. You've got to push the limits on oyster bars. Um, you And a part of that now is not necessarily, you don't need to wreck your boat, obviously, but it's learning the water learning as those tide moved, uh, where to go, when the tides here. And, and I don't know, Tom, when I'm out there and I'm going with guys I've never been with, I feel like I talk too much because I'm just constantly reading the water, reading which way the grass is flowing, seeing which way the fish are facing. Um, there's so many other little factors. Another little fact I think is a huge factor in all this for our officials is I, I think he's, you've had him on your podcast is using the tactical angler clip. Mm. Um, oh yeah. Alberto. I, crazy Alberto. So that tactical angler clip to me, it, 
I'm, I'm not, you are the master of knots. I am not. I tie one simple knot I've tied since I was 15 years old when my dad kicked me out of the boat and said, figure out how to tie it on your own. And it's three times through, pull it in a, in a <laughs> clinch knot. Um, it's worked for me. It's never failed me. Um, but that, that tactical angle clip to me is a game changer, especially for trout and redfish and probably for snook on the flats with artificial because of the action it gives. Well, explain, so that little explain swivel, what it is. Uh, cause a lot of people don't, don't use that, but, uh, it, it is available from, from Alberto knee. He's a remarkable angler and he's got, that's just one of his ideas. He's got lots and lots and lots of good ideas, but explain that what, what that is for people yeah, that and don't so, know. And here's what, and I'm going to explain it, Tom, because I don't know why he developed it, but I'm going to tell you why I love it and, and my theories on it, but it's almost like a swivel clip, but it's, it looks like a paper clip and you can literally, I, I bring it there. I, I bring two or three or four spinning rods every time I go all everyone I have has fluorocarbon leader. Like we talked to I had a guess we hadn't talked about that, but I always, I like to use 20, 25 pound fluorocarbon leader. Um, doesn't have to be super long. Cause a lot of times the water's not that clear, but that tactical angle clip looks just like a paper clip on the end of it. And it is as simple as you slide it on, slide it off. It's rated 25 to 50 pounds. I've never had one in 10 years fail me. Um, but you can change lures on a heartbeat. So instead of having to retie, to me, these big trout, the key is making a thousand casts. You're not going to go out there and make five casts, drink a cold beer, kick your feet up and catch a giant. You, you might luck into that, but not the way I'm doing it. It's making a thousand casts, fish of no corn. And so to me, it's changing lures. Every, you know, whatever you might be using, you can change them in two seconds with that. But I think that clip and that, and I'm using my fingers. I mean, I guess they're probably, I mean, maybe an inch long at the most. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, like, it's kind of like a, an oblong, um, split ring, right? Yes. But yep, you don't, just you don't need, you don't need split ring pliers or any pliers at nope. all to change the, the, the lure. And so yeah, that's what Alberto saw a while back is like, man, I am cutting back this fluorocarbon leader. And if I cut it back three or four or five times, now I have to change leaders. What a waste of time. I haven't gotten a bite yet. Your leader's pristine but you need to be changing lures often. So that's a super great idea. Yeah. And I think Tom, to that point, I, I don't know if this is why you developed, but I think the action is that much better on that lure because it's almost like tying a loop knot or something that gives you that play. So that action on, on whether it's a live target or a savage gear or whatever, or a soft plot, that, that slight twitch. And as you know, you've, you've probably seen it in action with some of your, it, the more natural you can make that lure and, and CA says this all the time. I keep referring to these. I, I consider them the, the masters in our industry and yourself. Got to make that fish. It's got to be his idea to eat that lure. Try to force feed fish. You can't, you and I, you, you're a master of sight fishing permit. You think you got to figure it out. Well, on one day, guess what? If they're not feeding that way, you got to adapt. They're, they're going to tell you how they want to eat. So don't force feed them. Um, there's five or six key lures I keep switching to on every trip. And there's some days it will only be the pink Paul Brown that they want the devil. That's it. They won't touch the white one or the green one or this hard plastic or a Miradine. They only want that. And so you got to constantly be shifting and evolving and, and making a thousand casts. But I think that action that that swivel clip does is uh, to me, it's like you said, time it's money. Cause you're not cutting through your, I mean, sometimes I'll leave the same fluorocarbon on for an entire season of this trout huh. fishing. Um, if it, if they haven't run any oysters or any rocks and, uh, it's just that much more, that much more wiggle, that much more twitch, whatever it is, any advantage you can get with that is, is an advantage. And you've so had, that's crazy. Alberto, you can follow him on, yeah. on, uh, Instagram. It's crazy underscore Alberto underscore knee K N I E. Um, 
he's on Instagram and he also has uh tactical anglers. Um, yes. on Instagram as well. So that's where you can get those, those, uh, tactical clips, angler clip. those tactical angler clips and they've got all kinds of stuff. He catches, he catches all kinds of good fish. Alberto does. And he knows how to cook them. Yeah. Well, he doesn't really oh, cook them. He makes it sushi. Style. <laughs> <laughs> he mostly right. eats them raw. <laughs> that's why it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I, Tom, I'll go to this point too, as we're, you know, kind of wrapping up, we're talking about all these different things. And again, I could talk about this for hours, but I, I'm not sure who your guest was, but you talked about someone, I think it may have been your podcast with Shaw Grigsby, mm, but you yeah. were talking about the difference in tournament fishermen. Why this one guy in the keys, when you have all the best anglers in the keys and he would win every time. And he'd said it was as simple as I'm 5% better at tying my knot. Yeah. My hooks are 5% sharper. And, and so the way I describe to new people out here doing this kind of fishing is if you're 5% better with your rod, if you're 5% better with your glasses, if you're 5%, if all of a sudden you've got 10 things you're 5% better at, then your odds, you've just stacked the odds in your favor. Right. Um, and again, there's sometimes you just get lucky and catch a big fish. That's, that's a fact. But yeah, I think you'd be lucky. I think you'd be lucky to end up 5% better. Um, and it, it, in a lot of things, I think it's a 1%, like real seriously, like 1%. And there's 50 yeah. things that you need to pay attention to. And that 1% adds up to 50% better, um, over time. And, and it is, it is interesting. Just like I was talking to Shaw about, and just like what you're talking about the Peter Deeks of the world, the guys that catch these fish all the time. It's not that they're doing something radically different. Sometimes they are, but a lot of times it's doing everything just slightly better than everybody else. Slightly yep. more detail oriented, slightly better, slightly more careful staying slightly further away from the shoreline than other people exactly. and, and just, just little things. And it looks like they're doing the same thing to somebody that doesn't really know yet. Yeah. But they're no, not. that's a great point. Yeah. And, <laughs> they're obviously and not. I, well, that's what, and I think you had on with uh, Joe Simons, one of our, our mutual friends from Saltstrong yeah. talking about the difference in getting new people out there fishing versus established people. Well, our entire industry, the number one goal of all of them is to get new fish. Mm -hmm. that's that's it the most established fishermen have their patterns have their techniques are set in their ways but those new guys are the guys that you're like you said and maybe this is where covid has helped our industry maybe it's a good thing maybe it's a bad thing maybe there's a lot more pressure on the water but it's bringing new people so when they start to try to learn it the right way these these subtle things and i think like joe even talked about it is it a bad thing that you're teaching everybody these better techniques I don't think so because then you're creating smarter anglers, you're creating more conservation minded anglers. You should be creating more respectful anglers. Um, but yeah, number one, if you're going to try to catch, it's not just big trout, but any big subtle or big fish that is, is smart, like a bonefish. Um, I love going to the Bahamas and sight fishing and just walking the white beaches. And ultimate spookiness. It's those trout off the, are those bonefish off the beaches. It's it's getting away from everybody and getting away from the pressure and, and push back into where you've never pushed and explore and see what you can find. And yeah, I mean, you never know. That's where, to me, the uh, unicorns live is where not all the boats are. Yeah. I don't think that I, I think that's a, you know, the people that, that are maybe upset because somebody's learning how to fish really well from the get go and they're not maybe paying their dues like they had to because there wasn't such a thing as the internet when they grew up and there's all this information wasn't available to them. I don't think it works like that. That's like a scarcity mentality. I think that there's no lack of, of, of things that we can learn about fish. There's no lack of skills that we can develop 
about fish. There's no lack of technology that can help us to cast further and have rods that are lighter and, and, and lures that work better and look more realistic. And when, when people get better, everything gets better. Like you looked at the lures they used to use, like the, you, I got my grandfather's <laughs> tackle box in here, man. And, and it's like, yeah. you couldn't catch anything on those things. Now it's like a hunk of wood with these giant treble hooks off of it. And now you go to, you know, some of these lures that we have now and it's hard to even tell them apart from the real thing. I mean, <laughs> and, and yeah. I mean, you, the, it, the paint job is exactly the same. It's a photo, it's a photograph on a lure. The work of like art. It, yeah. I mean, Every it's not a even a paint art. job. It's like, it's like a photograph of a fish printed on a lure. Like it's yeah. incredible. And then the way they swim and all these things, they, they just get better and better and better. But when that happens, you know, the fish kind of get used to that. And then you got to step up your game a little bit more. And that just, that just takes everyone yep. to a little higher level. And, you know, it's just like when braid came out or I don't know, any of this stuff, the, the, the fly rod technologies that allowed people to, you know, so many more people to cast a fly rod good enough to catch a fish, you know, people got mad about that. Like it should be hard to do this, you know, but it shouldn't be hard. It should be fun. That's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to have fun. Even the new and, depth finders are same. Right. Yeah. Well, man, some of that technology now, have you seen that, oh, that, that, the, the, the Lawrence thing that looks like, I mean, you can see them swimming around in front of you. See the it's actual ship. Yeah. It's no, you can yeah, see the fish. You can see the fish. You can see the school well, think, of shad. You can yeah. see, you can see the tarpon. <laughs> I've got a side scan that I can tell it's a tarpon because I can see his tail has a, has a V. And and it's not round like a permit. Like that's a tarpon. That's a shark. I can yeah. see the dorsal fin. Like it's crazy. It's gotten it's better. An interesting, but it yeah, doesn't make them topic. all that much easier to to catch. I mean, well, honestly. at its fundamental level, yeah. And that's what you know. I think you and I we we run into each other at ICAST every year, um, and whether or not we have it this year. But it always amazes me. Like at each ICAST, I'm like, okay, you can't get any more realistic. You can't get any like this is as good as it gets. And then the next year it's like, wow, how did they, how did yeah, they but, raise it again? Or how did know, they change? It's, it's unbelievable that how the technology the changes. Funny thing is though, you see the lures that get better and better and better, more and more and more realistic. And then you have that lure, like you're talking about, what do you call that thing? The Paul, the Paul Brown devil looks like an the, alien. What's, is, is that I, the, 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 the thing that looks like Gumby? Like, is it, yeah, we don't, most people I, think it, we no. don't use that. I don't use that <laughs> lure in the keys, but I had my friend, uh, John Landry, he used to bring that thing down and he swore the tarp and just crushed it. And I mean, they will, they will eat that thing really good, yeah. but that thing looks nothing like no, anything no bait anybody's going to yeah. eat and it, yet it crushes them. And there's other ones where you can have these other lures where, you know, they'll chew the paint off of it. And now it's a color that is not nowhere anywhere nearly resembles the fish and it looks better. I mean, it, and they're eating it better and better and better. And the more beat up it gets, the more they're eating it. So like, while you can get more technical and more advanced and more, more realistic, it doesn't necessarily mean that it swims more realistic or that it looks more realistic than, than, you know, an old rattle trap or something that, that has been around forever that has stood the test of time because the thing really looks good. Right. Yeah. Like our, or a, or a Zara spook. I mean, that's like, 
That thing's been around. It's my favorite lure ever. Super man. spook. Yep. Right. And it's the same body as 50 years ago. Right. And and you could put a super great paint job on it, but one that's got all the paint chewed off of it might fish better than that than that one. So I don't know. I think it's an exciting time for fishing. I think that there's a lot of technology around the corner. And um, you know, the braid just keeps getting better and better and better. I mean, I get this stuff. It looks like sewing thread, that jot the Daiwa J braid. You get it and it's like 20 pound test and it's obviously mislabeled. Like yeah. this has the to be something is, else. Yeah. And it's so thin. And then that makes the reel smaller because now everybody's fishing with braid. So there's no reason to have a, 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 a the side, what I used to use a 4,000. Now I can use these little tiny spinning reels and they cast just as far and they're light and you can hand them and to You can anyone. feel everything. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I don't know. It's an exciting time for fishing. And I don't know that necessarily, I, I, I don't, I don't think that more information out there to make people more, um, um, better anglers right away and more conscientious and more aware of what the resource means and how to take care of it. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I agree completely. Yeah. I and that's where I know you, you really take pride in this. And then everybody we've mentioned, CA is the ultimate teacher. I mean, it's called flats class and Joseph, these guys teaching the right way to do things right off the bat. I mean, you're, you're speeding up the level, but again, if you put in the time, you're still going to have to put in the time because oh, at man, its yeah. fundamental level, fishing is man versus a wild animal and cricket trying to fool it. And I, I think that's what keeps me going and you going and any angler every day you go it's totally different. You can you can figure out figure out this, but it's still exciting when you've tricked that fish into falling for something that's not an actual bait, especially with artificial. You know, live bait, same thing. You're still fooling the fish, but that's why we love doing it because yeah. every day is different. And you never know what you're going to catch. And um, I know one of your guests that you've had on here was the lone winner, Jordan. I mean, yeah, he talked about you it. Had, a you whole nother up, level man. of. You hooked yeah, me George's up with great him. Guy he, and, that was one of the best podcasts we ever did. That one was was amazing. Yeah, I think you launched him to Joe Rogan right after yeah, that. So yeah, right. Joe owes you for that one. Yeah, um, he, but, Joe Rogan is always stealing my guests. I don't know what the deal <laughs> is. It's unbelievable. Uh, you think he'd have a deep enough well where he's yeah. going? But but Jordan, you know what he did, and and it changed alone. And like we're talking about technology, but at its fundamental level, you're just tricking a fish or you're trying to catch a fish. He was used. He he does his survivor camp now where he. He's making these lures from hand with scraps and then he's making, he's fashioning these nets where you're putting them in. The, I mean, it's just, it's just fascinating to me because that's where it's, it's probably something I'll never do. I talked to Jordan about maybe trying to go up there this summer to the mountains in Idaho with him. Yeah. Um, especially a, a, a city beach boy like myself, not knowing any idea what I'm doing up there and he can just uh, fresh meat. But I think you and I and others that see that we, th there's little bits of that. We're like, huh? Why, why, why did he do that? And that's what fishing is. It's always an experiment. Every day is different. Why did they do this on this day? And that's where um, you can go to, you, we all have our favorite quote unquote spots. And if you're offshore fishing, it's bottom or the, whatever it might be, but every day is different. And to me, it's that adventure going out there and seeing what you can find. And, and like I said, trying to catch that unicorn and you never know where that fish is going to be, but that's the fun in it. I mean, that's, that, that's why, we keep doing what we keep doing and that's why we're talking about it. That's why you have shows and that's why, you know. Yeah, no, it's definitely fun. Man, the way Jordan was fishing on that show was, uh, that was a different deal. Like he, he, <laughs> he put that net under the ice and he said he had never done that before, but he put it under the ice and then he caught that massive pike. And he told me that 
I mean, that guy's so good at living out in the woods. He told me that that um, when the crew came, he fed the crew. <laughs> like he had so much food That's left awesome. over that he fed the crew. And and he was thinking that it was going to be like, like he he was ready to be out there twice as long. He said, there's no way that this is going to be over in less than 100 days or whatever. And yeah, I, I may have a- the numbers right, wrong or whatever, but, you know, maybe day 50 or I don't know how long they made it. But he was super surprised that it was over. Like, what? I'm just getting, I'm yeah, just getting in he, my groove here. He didn't like, look any different. I mean, he's, and that's the thing with him too. He's lean. Like a lot of these guys come in and put on 30, 40 pounds and just store away the fat. Jordan's already lean. Yeah. And uh, it, it'd be an interesting show. I don't know if you watched the last season of Alone where they had, uh, I forget it. He calls himself the last Bushman. Mm-hmm. He made it a hundred days. Um, he built this rock fortress. Like it was impenetrable out of rocks and he killed a, I believe it was a yak with his bare hands. It said he shot it with an arrow, but then had to go up to it and finish it with his bare hands. I'd love to see him and Jordan like a head, head to head. Right. Cause I don't think you'd, I think, I don't think they'd ever stop. I think right. you put them out there for five years. And so you'd have to figure out well, some other way to do it. So some of those guys, I mean, I, haven't watched, I, I know I could never do it, but I haven't watched that one. It was that the season after Jordan was on there season. It eight? was either the season after or the, the, the following season, but yeah, I'll have to, um, and I've got his information. We'll, we'll talk after the, the show and I'll get you. Yeah, let's I've get him on here. Talked with him. I'll have to yeah, watch though. When you told me about Jordan, I had to binge watch the entire alone season seven before I had him on. Cause I wanted to know what happened, but he's the one, if anybody hasn't listened to that podcast and has watched the show, um, Jordan was the one that killed the moose and he killed a moose with a bow and arrow. I mean, a, really a stick and a string, yeah. it, it, you know, like a, not like a, bow and arrow you think about yeah, not a compound bow that Cameron Haynes is shooting no this thing was <laughs> this thing was like the crappiest little boy scout bow you've ever seen and he managed to take down a moose with it and uh and he had all kinds of tricks like he he funneled this moose into his area by by blocking trails and making you know making it impossible for it to really travel through that area unless it came right into his range and then he he did that and but that wasn't that wasn't enough because he he ate that but he still was losing weight he yeah. was losing a pound a day and um and you know if you're out there for a hundred days you can't lose a pound a day for a hundred days I mean he, the guy starts Especially out at hundred forty pounds yeah. you know so he was he was really losing a lot of weight but he was eating more than anyone else some of the ladies on that show oh, man they were legit. And they were making it on nothing. Squirrels. Yeah, berries every like once in a while. A yeah, couple of berries a and a yeah. squirrel every two weeks. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but man, they, 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 that, that's a good show. I like that. You'll show. love the newest season. Then the, the newest season had, it, it seemed to me like they really handpicked a bunch of just a plus survivor. To, and so they had, it was a hundred day challenge. So it was the first time they said, try to get to hundred days. If you get to hundred days, give you a million dollars i think it was so um no well i, I just mentioned so one, more than one person make million. it then they give a million dollars to everybody you know what i don't know how they were i think so Shoot, i don't man. know tom i'd have to go i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and watch it because the whole season was fascinating because they each came in with just expert level knowledge it's kind of like we're talking about is yeah. it, it it can you have too much knowledge no i mean we're, we're always learning um and that's why i brought up jordan it's at its fundamentals what we love about fishing is what he loves about alone it's fooling nature it's and it's not even fooling nature we can only take from nature what nature gives us so we 
we are incredibly respectful and incredibly mindful. I would have loved to have had the measurements on that fish. She may have been 32 inches, 12 pounds. I don't know, but I didn't want to hurt her. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get her back out there. So it's it's giving and taking conservation attitude. But yeah, this this new season of uh, Alone. And there may be, may be a new one coming out, but you'll... You would think that if they're giving away a million dollars for anybody that makes it over 100 days, that those people would be smart enough to be like, hmm... I'm going to hike over that mountain. I'm going to find the other camp and then we're going to work together and we'll make, we'll make $2 million because <laughs> we can probably think about what we could do if we had three of us or maybe it would be harder. I don't know. Well, they actually, I, well, they actually don't let them do that. They keep them to a specific area and they don't let them go beyond that area. So they get, they've thought of all the, cause I've thought of the first time I watched it, that was my thought. Like, Hey, why don't you, yeah, and they actually had a season dollars. where they had partners on it. Yeah, a but they dollars. GPS track everything they do. <laughs> well, you think they yeah. can't figure that out? I mean, I, it's a I million <laughs> dollars, dude. They they can put that, that that they take the prisoners do it all the time. Your house, you're under house arrest. They slide that little That's anklet right. off and they they hang it on their bathroom thing. It looks you may like give they're the taking new a shower. Better some some ideas. Yeah, it looks like they're taking a shower and they go haul ass and go and. and buy some meth or whatever they're going to do and come back. And then they look like they just got out of the shower But those guys. They can just slide that little thing off and then go kill a, kill a bear and share it with their friends and come back. Everybody wins. Yeah. I mean, a million dollars, you know, they say, if you're not cheap, people do some crazy stuff. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I'll have to watch that. The last Bushman. Yeah. You'll, the last Bushman was his code name on there. Um, I forget his name, but just, he looks like a little guy who came out of the mountains and he, he lived in Alaska. He was a big game guide. So uh, like I said, I hate to give you sport. They actually had to pull somebody on like day 92 or 93. It was way up in they there. Were getting too thin. Um, they no, she actually had frostbite. Like oh. she got to the point where the frostbite was starting and she was like, I don't care. I'll, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll lose a toe. I'll lose a foot for a million dollars. And so they ended up pulling her. She did not want to go. So th- that's the other element of that show. And that's why I love watching that show is, you can do everything you want, but at some point they will pull you based on your weight. They don't want your organ shutting down. Um, yeah. Just a, a fascinating show. That so. seems, that seems, I mean, when you watch that show, that show is legit because it's like somebody's over there and they're like, man, I haven't had anything to eat but a squirrel in a week. And they look haggard. They're sunburnt. They're just like, it, it, they got frostbite. It's, it's not, pretty yeah. at all my family and survivor. I have, well my family and i have just started watching survivor again and i watched the first season and haven't watched it since and then we got into watching this on on the over the christmas thing and we watched a couple of seasons of it and while it may not be alone a survivor is a, a really interesting um kind of microcosm of the world it's a human experiment but I'm looking at these people and I'm like, they got to be giving them sunscreen. I mean, they, they have to have a hair. <laughs> How are they, not they, look, yeah. they look like they just kind of had a rough night, not like on a loan. On a loan, they look like they're dying. Yeah. And no, it's, it's a great point. <laughs> yeah. Survivor, they wanted it to look pretty on your TV and the girls look good. The guys yeah. did. Yeah. Alone they is gotta we're be giving go the opposite them some extreme. Food. They have to give them some food on Survivor. What's, or something. Fun, what's interesting, if you watched it back, you probably watched the season with Colby. And I was actually talking about this today because I, I follow your, I'm nowhere near your level of fitness. And last year was a bad year for me with that. But I started doing the gallon of water a day. Okay. And I remember watching after Colby won Survivor and they talked to him and they were like, Colby, how did you, you look like you just stepped off of a photo shoot. Like, what did you do? And he's like, 
we didn't eat that much. He said, I'm not, there's no, uh, somebody got kicked off one season for smuggling in a Nutrigrain bar or something. But he's like, I, I drank all the time. I tricked my stomach and I drank and I drank and I drank. And he, and he said, that's, that was his strategy. Why he felt, because in all the challenges he dominated. So again, it's all, all these little things we're talking about, even with gameplay is trying to find an advantage. What's a little bit better that you can do. It's the same with fishing. It, it all comes back fishing. to the same, the same way. What can you do just a little bit better? Is it your boat getting there faster? You know, wh- whatever it might be, it all comes back to the same thing. And that's, I think why we want, like watching it, it's the natural element, but it's also that human element of what you can do and what you can control and what you can, you can try yeah. to, the, you know, the other favor. thing, the other thing that's, that, that kind of, um, is similar to the whole conversation that we've had here is about how, how you have this evolution of knowledge and, and as things get better and better, you have to raise your game up a little bit as the lures get better, as more people fish, as more people are hunting, you have to become a better hunter, a better woodsman in order to have the same success that you were having before, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And in this, and in these survivor things, I mean, they've got like 37 seasons or something. So every year, these these people are studying these past seasons, yes. seeing where they made a mistake, what they would have done. They have an idea of how they're going to play this game. In the first couple of seasons, they didn't even it, they didn't even call it a game. Like <laughs> yeah. and now they're like it's like they're they're human chess players. Yep. They're 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 human players in a game of chess. They know that they have to do things to to make it to the end, and they have to walk this real real balance it's like a it's like a a fine line of balance between being a liar and 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 not <laughs> doing right for people and being truthful and honest and and that rarely wins and <laughs> it's just a it's just a very interesting kind of kind of thing but it kind of goes back to the what we're talking about like this evolution of knowledge that that as as the game progresses on something like Survivor, the the players get better and better and better and better and better, and that's exactly what happens in the fishing and the hunting world. Is that as as more and more people, as Salt Strong is is educating more people and getting more people into fishing, the whole sport kind of evolves to a higher Absolutely. standard because now guides, when they get a beginning angler, they have an idea. They've watched some videos. They've watched some things. They they know a few things, and 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 so that guide can take those people to a and show them a different experience than having to show them how to hold the rod and having having to show them how to set the hook and all these things. So I don't know. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think it's it's kind of an interesting comparison. I never thought we'd be comparing fishing to Survivor, but you know that's how some of these conversations go. Yeah, but they're all and again. It, it's all related, and that's the the funny part. But that's why I brought up Jordan last season alone. Jordan raised the bar to such a high level that everybody that comes on the next season, like you said, they're studying that. But that's the same with fishing. When I watch those fishing shows, I'm like, you know, uh, there's sometimes I'm watching like, oh, I've been doing that for ten years, and there's a time, other times where, dang, I never, never thought of that that slight advantage of doing this, and and that's where uh, you're great. Uh, um, Rich is great. You guys know some things a lot intuitively, but for the average guy sitting at home, that's not intuitive. That's not, they don't live out there. They, they maybe get on the water 10, 15, 20 times a year. So we can help those guys and those windows do better. I just don't see that being a bad thing um, at any level. 
And right. uh, yeah, we, we've been using, I know you and I've been talking about other things too, but a, a rising tide floats all ships. It's the same analogy with this to me. If you get 58 educated con- conservation minded anglers on the same flat versus 49 Guggins and one really good guy, your experience is going to be a whole lot better because you're giving each other the space, you, whether you got there first. And I, I think it's what I don't, again, I don't bass fish much, but watching them, all those guys in those areas, that, that, how do you tightrope that line? But it's because they're all educated. They're at the top of their game. They're the 1% of the 1%. Um, yeah, I, I think the more, and your podcast is great at doing it, the more we can educate people and whatever platforms we have. Um, and it's not just education, it's entertainment. Because if you're not having fun doing it, then then what's the point? So, well, that's exactly yeah. it. And some people don't have enough time, enough fun out there. Yeah. Or you kind of forget <laughs> at, at some point, sometimes, sometimes you get too serious about it and you forget that the, that the bottom line is that you're supposed to be having fun. If you're not having fun, maybe you should yeah. be doing something else, but I don't know. I still <laughs> have fun hobby. doing it. I still have fun doing yep. it. Well, Rob, I man, we that was do. some, uh, that's some really awesome advice. Do you want to leave us with anything, uh, one little nugget of information that's going to get everybody to catch their biggest trout ever in 2021? I know we've, we've covered a lot. What are we, we've been talking almost 90 minutes. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if, if I were to give a couple of the, to hit the highlights with, with catching a big trout, it's one, get away from the pressure, get away from everybody else. Um, push your limits, go places You've never been get close to that oyster bar, get deeper in that Creek the big unicorn trout are not going to be sitting there for everybody to catch. And then again, step up your game, step up your tackle. You've got to be able to cover as far as you can be able to have the sensitivity to not yank it out of their mouth. So it's, you know, you're walking a tightrope catching those giants, but that's, that's where the fun's added to me. Get, get away from everybody, push your limits, push your tackles limits and uh, see what happens. Right on, man. Right on. All right. How do people follow you? How do they find you and, and uh, keep track of you and communicate with you? All right. A couple different ways. It's uh, Rob Chapman fishing on Instagram, Rob Chapman on Facebook. Um, and then Rob fishes the world is kind of my YouTube name, which I'm adopting in a couple different places. So Rob fishes the world and, um, you know, I get to fish in some pretty cool places, but Florida is where my heart is and uh, that's where I spend most of my time. So, but yeah, you can reach me on any social media all the time. As you know, Tom, I, that's my world. If I'm not fishing, I'm doing fishing social media. So that's right. That you is can reach out world. and I will reply to every message. You're the same way. You're uh your the dms and the followers and the comments to me that's where you can make a difference and that's where we can educate so a lot of my stuff's fun and silly uh, but at the same time you can educate people right there and you know shoot me a line and we'll get back to you and i'll, I'll be glad to help in any way i can i know tom will too you can text me gave you the number earlier yeah, tonight i gave him my phone number <laughs> give out your phone number <laughs> i won't give that out that's right it's a 386 area code we'll still go with that <laughs> okay all right yeah people were asking there, like what in the world why are you giving out your phone number but it works it works good um anyway yeah. all right well that's cool that that's uh that's it for us rob thank you um for coming on and sharing your knowledge about big trout and we'll have another awesome guest next week so stay tuned and if you have any questions about this you want to hook up you want to get in touch with rob uh, certainly go to his social media. If you want to get in touch with me, 305-930-7346. That's the number. That's the way to do it. That's the best way. All right. Until next week. See you.